Hello and welcome to the Born Together podcast. I'm Techie Quay and I hope you enjoy tuning into this contemporary archive of stories on the subject of mother and parenthood. I believe in the connective power of this experience, whether it be that someone's story reflects our own or gives us the opportunity to learn and see something new. I hope that this podcast taps into the power of shared stories and that it may become a portable community for you wherever you are, illustrating the many ways we become parents and families, the lives that we live and the journey we make to find ourselves within it all. Thank you for coming on this journey with me and let's jump into the show. This week's episode with Adrian Oliver holds a number of reflections on the experience of black motherhood. We talk about black mothering as an act of defiance, engaging in joy as resistance, and the cosmic reparations we are hoping to seed through our very existence as a new age of black mothers. We also unpack the truth and weight of the work and hopes we hold for our generation and especially our children. I'm full of joyful thanks to Adrian for coming on this journey and sharing such deep truths. It's an episode that offers connection for black parents and people and also critical contemplations to cultivate understandings held by non-black persons. There's much to take away from this episode, so let's get into it now. Adrian, hi. How are you? Oh, wonderful. It's so good to talk with you. I'm so excited to do this episode of the podcast and people won't be able to see, but we're both wearing stripes and we're matching, so we're ready in sync. <laughs> That's right. We could feel it from afar. Yeah. Adrian, would you maybe like to introduce yourself and share a little bit about you and your family for the listeners? Absolutely. So my name is Adrian Oliver. I sort of began my professional work as a performer. And then through some journeying, I was in New York and then in New Orleans. And I came to motherhood there. My daughter was born in 2014. And at that time, I was working in public schools. And so my background as a performer and filmmaker sort of informed a lot of arts integrated education that I did in public schools there. And when she was two, I decided to come home to Virginia, which is where my family lives. And it was quite a shock to be 30s and back in my parents' home with a two-year-old in tow. But it was also right for so many reasons. And so that was our sort of trajectory there. And I've stayed doing work around equity and anti-racism and inclusion in public schools, as well as sort of taking a pivot in my performance work, which... I suppose I had always been a little bit frustrated to find myself like a cog in the wheel of other people's storytelling. And some bit of healing for me uh, post, not really my daughter, but the relationship that preceded her, some bit of healing around that and reclamation of myself and my own story and ownership around a new stage in my artistry has been uh, to become a writer. Mm. And, you know, I, I, I think I always have been. That is, I've, I can't find a drawer in my home at any time that isn't full of scraps and journals and things and all that time. But I do think that it was motherhood that helped me to trust my voice and mm. offer it as a token or even to believe in it as something of value and worth. And so, yes, so for the past five years, the majority of my artistic work has been around writing and also a good deal of sort of theater work, direction, production. That's sort of how I occupy 
my days. It's amazing, isn't it? The uh, I think it's that transformation of motherhood or parenthood and just that redefining of self. It just opens up a whole new door of opportunity, I think, for me is what I felt. And definitely... I've always thought to, that I have I am a writer in some shape or form, but it's interesting that you came to it through the same path through motherhood, and that's it, trusting your voice and its worthiness. And I don't know if it's somehow it's reflected back to you by seeing this little person or if I've had to step up, if I've had to elevate my voice on behalf of this little person, or if it just gave me the space to step into this and, and accept it. I think it's quite an interesting it's kind of cool to hear yeah. someone else echoing like, oh, I'm like, tick, tick, tick. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's something when you speak to a child, and I, I did experience this in the classroom, yeah, that you speak to a child and they they soak that in. And I, I did see the immensity of my words upon another person. You know, a lot of people in education or even writers will tell you, I've wanted to be this since I was six years old. I've always known. And I've I've never been that person. I did always think I'd be an actor, but it wasn't because I always knew it. It's because I always wanted it. Yeah. It was an external thing. I'm seeking that. And I never had a sense of, I am one thing. I will always be one thing. And do you think motherhood has changed that now? I think like you will always be a mother. <laughs> um, to have something like motherhood and its its permanence, yes, transformed for me tremendously how I conceptualized myself. I saw myself on a grander timeline, and that's part of what was able to put a bit of like weight behind both the words I wished to share and also the urgency in sharing them was the sense of I have a, a, a short blip on a grand timeline. And so I must be, I must be at work with this time. And, and the legacy that I build with my child and that I help to carve for her or on her behalf is I, I don't know. Yeah. And it, and it mirrors something that I need to do beyond that as well. Um, so yes, motherhood changed that for me deeply. And do you think as well, I know for me, it's been a journey of intergenerational connection. I think I've gone back and not necessarily that, you know, I've been talking to my grandmothers and that but just I've understood myself in that place of time like you said on that scale in I feel like I've gone back as well as being propelled forward through my daughter it's it's positioned me differently to how I existed before becoming a mother I often hear mothers speak of how like I think that idea is resonant that that we see there is something that comes after us (laughs) right and so there is this kind of potential for almost like a pendulum that we see we're we're moving along I will also name that to pause in that and look around and see that there is within me right now and amongst my community there I, I I remark often that my work is to become a worthy ancestor, and I think that's work that's right mm. now, and I think it's work for the future. But I also know that it was set up in the yes. past, and it's happening in community. So it's not 
just me. It's not my work alone to become that. It's my job to pause and and really see all of the history and legacy and potential of this moment. Mm. And that was exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'll play it and I'm like, oh yeah, no wonder. That's pretty tiring. <laughs> Just existing as a human. Oh my God, I'm exhausted. <laughs> but you know, motherhood is nothing if not constant. And I suppose at some point I came to the realization that if I'm going to be working all day, every day in this dynamic, I I will be served by it as well. Yes. That's amazing. It's so true, isn't it? It's not it's not just for you to give, but what actually opens up and comes back to you. Right. Yeah, yeah there's a reciprocity in it. That That's the word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it bond, you know, I've been thinking a, a bit about that in terms of my relationship with the land recently, which has probably been more unconscious in previous years. But my daughter is very concerned with the state of the planet. And that is a a concern that she comes to earnestly and independently. And so my learning curve has been steep to try to support her understanding, right? She's sick and she's so chatty about all things. And so her her inquisitive nature demands not just that you have an answer, but that you be willing to seek out that information with her. And so to journey along with her. Right. That's right. And that seeking is so joyful. But in thinking about that, I, I've been thinking about that dynamic, that reciprocity that we have with the earth. And I think that motherhood is an, is an extension of that, right? We are asked to tend these things and help them to grow into something that can stand the test of time. Yeah, and that's it last beyond us, isn't that's it? Right. Yeah. Right, yeah. And Adrian, uh, you're a, would you describe yourself as being a solo parent? Is that how you see yourself, or a single mom? Yeah. Or I don't know the term that you employ for your, your existence. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you asking. I, I suppose I do use the term single mother in part because as a black woman, it feels important to me to say I am a black single mother because I think that the connotation of black single motherhood is so distant from my experience of it, for better or worse, right? And so it does feel meaningful to me when I engage with people and you know they ask after our at-home dynamic to say, I'm a single mother. Mm. because it feels contradictory and even a little, you know, <laughs> like a challenge. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm staking so. it here. <laughs> That's right. But, you know, my sort of view of the world is is more collectivist than that. And so one, one piece of he- sort of healing when we returned home was to say, I, I cannot do all things on my own. And my belief that my child deserves community and family and um, these kind of relationships and, and dynamics around her, it compels me to say, I need help with dinner on Thursday night. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know? So yeah. I feel that, and I'm very early into my journey, and I think it will just continue. But my I've always struggled to ask for help. Mm-hmm. I've always struggled. And I wonder if that too plays into, you know, being 
a strong black woman, an independent woman, like all these things. And I've always found it really hard, but on behalf of my daughter or for the sake of my daughter or to enrich her life, I find myself asking for help where I never would have done before. <laughs> That's right. There is, you know, I say for better or worse. And I really, I, I do mean it. I think that in some ways I'm in solidarity with all black single mothers. In other ways, my experience is uniquely my own. And so I would never presume that just because I am in solidarity with them that I, you know, speak on behalf of them. Right, right. I can't know the intimacies of everyone's dynamic. And so when I claim the title, I, I claim that as a, yeah, as you say, sort of staking a claim, right, as a challenge to a systems definition of that. And the same is true of invoking some vulnerability and asking mm. for help and owning that I can be a strong Black woman and also not uphold this stereotypical picture of what strong Black womanhood looks like, which is problematic in its own ways, right? <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. So, yeah. I think we like some different coloring, isn't it? And like some more diamondism. I'm going to struggle with that word, but to to make it more robust and dynamic and different shades and something. It's I guess it's a new a new strong black woman. It's a different age right. of that. And you're raising a, a little a, a micro black woman, <laughs> a mini one. <laughs> That's exactly right. And when I think about when I think about myself as an ancestor, and when I look to my ancestors, I do look, as you described, for a sort of prismatic picture of them. I want to see them as whole people. And I I think this is a struggle not just for black women, certainly, or for any mother at an intersection of identity. But I think it's it's a problem we have globally with the way that we paint motherhood, that there is, you will be joyful in it, it will be fulfilling just <laughs> as it is. Um, and then we present counter narratives, which are, well, but here's how it's hard. Okay, but it could be hard this way. And I, I suppose some of my work, has it. I think it has to be around, it isn't just an issue of story and then counter narrative. It is holding them both at once and saying these this nuance <laughs> where yes. they touch is a richer fuller picture of motherhood than just a collision motherhood. i'm like touch is such a gentle word that collision <laughs> <laughs> yes good of you to point it out perhaps too gentle for what it ultimately feels like or what the experience of it is but yes there is that collision point this tension there between a story we've been told and our lived experience of it. But somewhere they are meeting up. And I think that's what makes telling those stories is how we unbridle a picture of motherhood to so that our children can look and say, oh, yeah, see them in their multiplicity, right? even today like I probably wasn't my best self let alone my best mothering self and it's just incredible like I put Ava to bed and I try I guess I'm not a huge one for ritual but I I guess I tried to explain to her my day and I had to apologize to her you know and I was like I'm I'm sorry that I couldn't turn out for you in the way that I wanted but it's just so incredible that she loves me anyway like she just loves me in a way I've never experienced before. And that gift, I think 
that's what emboldens me to look at that space, to to dive into that space. And I think it it almost sort of protects me that we're going to, this is going to be hard, you know, and it's going to be messy, but let's see what it is. And it's almost that's where it can be really exciting because it is so human. That's right. I think that there is that elasticity yes. to a mothering dynamic. And I realize I'm, I mother a female person. And so it, it's up to me in some ways to model what womanhood can be as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, should she choose that identification down the road, right? I won't decide that for her. But but in, in doing that, in in creating those pictures, I suppose I suppose some of the work is to say that I'm in service of your unwavering love for me. Mm. Does not mean martyrdom, it means yeah. humanity. Yes. And so if I am in service, if you give me love, I will give you human back. And so it doesn't mean that I'm infallible and, and that I will do no wrong or that I, that I always speak in my most peaceful voice. <laughs> That's not happening always. It's just, just not because I'm human. Yeah. And so early on, I knew I'm going to show up whole for you, but that also means messy. Yes. And complicated. And, and I'm, I'm going to ask, I'm going to give you that and ask for that love in return, that constant love. Mm. I'm also going to give that to you. You may show up messy for me. You may show up complicated for me too. And, and my love for you will be unwavering. Yeah. Again, the reciprocity. I was thinking as well, it's such an interesting time, I think, this year I've been reflecting on, I guess, the experience of lost, lots of our foremothers and Black women who have come before us. And there is such a lack of their stories from their own words. And, you know, for us to to come with our words and to be able to put down our story ourselves, I think I feel called to do that. I feel called for all those who were messy and complicated and human and real, real people who lived their lives and their value has been been jotted down in terms of, in monetary terms, it's been, you know, the way their lives have been quantified, it's horrific and it feels, yeah, freeing and also a heavy burden in some ways to, to be moving forward with this. I think about this a lot, a good bit of my work in, schools is around anti-racism, but specifically around how an anti-racist lens informs our curriculum and our planning for instruction. And so some areas I work in are history and uh, English. And two of my favorite areas. I love them. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, and, and this year, as we've been doing a, a bit of writing, I say a bit, a, a complete overhaul of the curriculum for U.S. history within our school district, which is lofty work that hasn't come without its, not just challenges, but pushback, right? One of the things that has been really sort of stunning to me is that our prioritization of the written word means that if stories were not captured on paper, it's unlikely that they were preserved and elevated. Mm. But in a community sense, and specifically within a Black community, the prioritization of told, oral, spoken 
story and dialogue means that they are preserved and they are uplifted. And so it's about sort of divesting from the written word so that we can find and get access to those stories. They aren't, I suppose I've discovered that they haven't been so much erased as uh, quieted. Yes. And so my work there then is to amplify them. By that same token, I am a writer. And that is how I come to be heard in my time. And it does feel like an endeavor in dismantling a system to demand record of my time and my, my mothering and my work in this moment, if, if only to capture it so that it, so that it can't be quieted. Yes. Yes. So it's, we are history, I think is the thing we forget so often we are history and we look back, but what we're doing now, I think is what you've been saying, we are history, everything what we're doing now to be a the, an ancestor of value, a worthy ancestor. Yeah. yeah, it's about curating history now. It's, yeah, to have that power is awesome in that larger sense. <laughs> it is. And so then I think mothering becomes justice making, right? Yeah. Mothering becomes a practice in building and creating sustainable, just systems. And in that sense, I do see that it is not birthing people or or mothers exclusive. I think if we conceptualize mothering as creating justice, there are more of us engaged in that than we might initially identify because for whom are we creating that justice? Mm. Someone beyond ourselves, right? We are thinking that this is something that will sustain for a next generation. So whether you have a child or are mothering a child or whatever your relationship is there, you're doing that on behalf of children. And so I think that's in that way, I I can't really be lost in this work because it is uh, it's sustainable so far beyond me. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's a it's an investment in made in the future, for the future, on behalf of the future. And I definitely think mothering, especially black mothering, a form of resistance. And and time and time again, we have seen that space has been attacked and it's been so purposeful, you know, it's that's the dismantling of everything, of community, of history, of identity. And I think it's that reclamation and that sovereignty and stepping back into that is tremendous it's a tremendous thing to do that word sovereignty I love it for the immensity of it yeah and how it makes me want to like sit up a little straighter (laughs) but there is in in the United States specifically right black and indigenous motherhood has been violently dehumanizingly disregarded and weaponized to to build a nation. And so that remains true. And I can, you know, in thinking about holding sort of uh, parallel or contradictory consciousnesses at one time, I can hold that legacy as true in my mind and embody it with 
without without embodying the, the violence. And so in that way, I think joy is resistance. And so practicing and engaging in joyful motherhood, both for myself and together with and for my child, is a way to, it, it feels almost like, like, like psychic or cosmic reparations to go back to like to do some repair generationally and say I am a joy I exist joyfully. I cannot imagine my ancestors wanting more for me than joy in my days, than peace in my motherhood, than comfort in uh, my body. Those things are freedom and liberation, perhaps and potentially more so than policy or law could make true, right? I think that might be one of the like truest things I've ever heard. I'm like about to start crying just the thought of my ancestors wanting nothing more than that for me. Because and especially now being a mother, that is all I want for my child. That's all. It's <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. I'm like oh, pull it together, Tessie. <laughs> <laughs> I know motherhood very much is like she's on the verge of tears, basically at any point in the day. Oh, <laughs> at any point of the day, this is it. I was like, oh my god, I can't get like the jam jar open. I'm like, oh no, it's too much. <laughs> yeah. uh, really touched like that. I do. I think that's been that access point, allowing myself to be that touched by the depth of the work and mm-hmm. and to really be in relationship with with all the mothering that has preceded me to to exist right now so that I can mother my child to to really go to that place and let myself feel how monumental that task is has has been how I've come to own it and sort of try it on for size for how I can make that work because there is a good amount of Shaming and sort of like additional burden we place on mothers to love every minute of it. Yeah. yeah. So satisfied by every task of it, right? So much so that it can feel it can feel challenging to say this is a lot. This is a lot of work. That motherhood is hard and no one really prepared me for how hard and it, it will be. And the value placed on that it's minimal like it's non-existent like society does not value mothering no I am still waiting for my first check for mother (laughs) any day now it's probably gonna come it's a backlog I'm sure but like there isn't there's no system set up to actually support you through that time and and so it it does fall to us then to dismantle that picture Mm. but it's easy I was thinking a bit because, well, thinking a bit about birth, right? And how we tell these stories of birth that like, we just gloss over it. And we say, it was, it was a miracle. <laughs> no, <laughs> it was labor. That's how come we called it labor, you know? And it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop once they're born or once they come to you in whatever fashion that was. And so I think we have a, a, a right, a, a sort of righteous responsibility to say, oh, this is still labor that I'm engaged in and I get to define my relationship to that labor. And it does by day as well, hour by hour. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. And, and to be, I'll speak for me. Right. And it is important to me that my child see that my labor be visible. 
mm. without becoming a burden on her. I was going to say not burdensome, but just honest. That's right. And so I, I say things about this is what my day looks like. What does your day look like? Where do, where do our points connect? Oh, it sounds like we'll be having lunch together. I wonder what we can be having for lunch. Okay, now I'm going to go and do this thing. What are you going to be working on? I want to be in partnership with her around how our, especially, you know, here as we are at home for the foreseeable future. <laughs> Forever. <right? laughs> um, I, it feels important to me that I both value her agency and independence and invoke my own as necessary and to do as you described to come at the end of the day or in the middle of a day sometimes and say, look, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not handling this moment the way I want to be handling it. Here's what I'm feeling. What are you feeling? And I think I've started even, it's been it's such an interesting process of trying to define my own emotions and feelings. And I realized that I need to do that so that Ava can have the language to do so. And that's been huge. And because, of course, it's just the reflex, oh, I'm angry. And it's like, well, no, it's more complicated than that. It's, <laughs> it's like, I'm concerned, I'm tired, I'm curious, I'm, I'm unable to express my words right now, so I'm frustrated. Like, it's so many things. It's not, I'm just angry. <laughs> that's exactly right. The emotional intelligence of, in fact, that may be one of the things I really see American mothers struggling with is their own emotional intelligence and the own, their own sense that a sort of nuanced understanding of their feeling of their feelings will be embraced. We're so good at dismissing feeling as if it's not crucial to our understanding of how we react and respond to one another. So when we can get down to saying, I'm feeling quite anxious about my to-do list, which I haven't told you about. And so I'm holding that but it's making me feel like I need to hurry. And I notice you need to take some time with that. And that's making my words sharp because I want to go faster. Even just being able to articulate that uh, creates space where my kid can learn the language of feeling, but also know that it's safe then to express it. That's so true. It's not just and there are certain times when what I'm to say, but the safe space to do so, yeah. That's exactly right. And there are certainly moments when I'm like, if we could be less articulate about all the feelings <laughs> we're having, move forward. That would be great. You know, but again, it's that recognizing like, oh, it's not just about this one moment. It's about bigger than this moment. And so, yes, I will sit in this parking lot for as long as we need to so that we can gather the strength and energy to get into the car. <laughs> I can do that. I can do that. Yeah. And I don't love it. it but I no. <laughs> Isn't that the thing too? We're giving permission for ourselves to say that as well. Like we are capable. It doesn't mean we're going to love it, but we are capable of doing these things. I think I always thought very much the mo a mother was a teacher. That was part of the job, you know, to be a teacher. And mm -hmm. since becoming one, I really think when I look at Ava, I realize she has come to this world in the perfect state of of being curious and I think she's hugely empathetic I think she lives in the moment she has all these things that she looking at my own existence sorry she has all these things that I realize over time 
you can lose, you know, you can be conditioned out of them. And so I think maybe even it's not so much being a teacher all the time, but being a guardian of that space and their wholeness and how they can hold on to that as they navigate their way through the world and their lives. That's right. The, the term guardian, that feels uh, so, so important to point to because it resonates a lot for me to be a single mother and to be a working parent and to be to have my work be in so many capacities, right, means that when she wakes up, I'm writing. And when she falls asleep, she doesn't know it. But I'm writing again, you know, <laughs> all day that is listing. And, and so I, I do feel, and because we are not fully settled, right, we don't, we don't live in our forever home. And, and there are, we're sort of growing together into spaces we want to occupy. And, you know, maybe we move here one day and maybe we do, those dreams still exist and and we share them together. And so being a guardian is saying, I remain a safe repository for your existence. I have housed you. I will at least, and this is true for me because I, I birthed my child, right? I have housed you. I will continue to house you. There is not a version of you that can come back to me and not find nourishment in any way that you might need it. That is my ongoing job. And so go into the world, <laughs> let it, let it sort of wreck you. Yeah, crash over you as it will. As it will. With with its wonder and with its horror, let it do its work on you and know that you have always within me a safe, protected home. That's what I'm doing here. I don't know if you feel it very strongly being a single mother and that sort of unity between you and your child, but home is a person rather than a four-wall place you know I think the redefining of family of home of all these things is going to be so important as the world continues to change our lives even just here this year you know it has just everything's been dismantled the way that we thought the world can can be on so many ways it's exciting to think that we're enriching the language that we can use with our children come home to me not come home to this building. <laughs> That's exactly right. And to trust that when you experience that elsewhere, I hope she's not, mm. not the only person. I want her to know what it is here with me, but I hope I'm not the only person or thing that creates that feeling for her. Absolutely. And I want her to trust that, that I, I guess I want her to trust how much that container can hold of her, right? Whether it be another person or whether it be a, a sort of path of work or or whatever, I want her to know, oh, I feel what it feels like. I get to show up full here. Because being able to spot that, I think uh, a real benefit and joy of this year for me has been sort of demanded of myself that I pour into the dynamics that really fulfilled me. It has paid dividends, right? Because those relationships are flourishing that those pieces of myself that I poured into, I, I see them having taken root. I want her to be able to find those things, whether in a year like this year or in any other year, to, to think, ah, this feels right, and I give my energy to it. Because yes, as a single mother, I do feel that we are sort of, we're in a partnership of sort. Mm. And 
we do have to work together and negotiate together what this, what it'll be, what our partnership will be. Yeah. And I, it's funny before we um, like started recording, I was talking about just how watching my child change and unfold before my eyes, it will be forever like renegotiating and say, okay, look, look like sign up for a new contract or, you know, it's, right. <laughs> it's not a permanent thing. I think that's probably it. Motherhood is full of all of these contradictions where it's com- so permanent and not at the same time. There's so much vulnerability and joy and fear and it's so messy and complicated. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's that's amazing right. in, in many ways, like it's, you know, like a little microcosm of humanity all in just yeah. one thing because those complexities are, they're everywhere. Motherhood brings them in sort of direct proximity to us. And there is a, a recalibration every so often to to try to figure out what is going on. Things that I used to feel I had a handle on, I don't any longer. You know, there's somewhere around two or three where you realize like, when was the last time you ate anything that was a color, you know? (laughs) What's happening? It takes you a few weeks to clue in of like, are you eating exclusively starch? Is that the only thing that they're eating these days? But there is. And and, And because they are not always on your same rhythm, I do some of some of the work of mothering is to be on their rhythm. Absolutely. And so how do we do that without without losing our beat? And uh, Adrian, how is it at the moment in America? It's been a big year in terms of talking about black lives and black motherhood. How are you feeling being a single black mother and raising a, a brown baby? Are you feeling different maybe to how you were at the start of the year about what the world can hold for for the future of, of your daughter, of your child? That's such a fascinating exploration. In some ways, I feel safer. And when I say that, I have to own that it's because we're home. Because I do feel that I have some protection of her space and her mm. body here and of my own body and space. I also say that recognizing that two weeks ago, a man was shot with his keys hanging in his front door as he walked into his home, right? And so I don't know how to say this is a protected space or or it's not. Because I think the my experience of Blackness in America is that I'm, I'm never safe. Right, and a trip to the grocery store is uh, a fatal. Yeah, and that's where the joy element actually becomes even more important to me. And I know that this—I know it has been—I've said it, and it has been met with some sense of perhaps that's sensational. But truthfully, there could be a day when I'm on—I'm—I'm dead in a street. And I need my moments until then to be joyful. I need my daughter to know me as joyful so that whatever this country gives to me, I gave it joy. I gave myself art and love and compassion. I told the truth about my time here and I stoked uh a certainty in my child that she is worthy and of value 
simply because she is a being on earth. And I have to, I must do those things because there is a reality of our lived experience here. I also think of that ancestral peace and know that I I enjoy a relative comfort that no generation before me has had. And that comes on the back of protests and movements and and voices and labor to bring us into this moment. And so and so I am compelled with as much urgency as as my joy to like shake the rafters um and point to and, and point to the injustices that are that are riddled across across our experiences. So this year here has been in many ways overwhelming. It seems like such a simple word for what it really has felt like, but I suppose I'm I remain I do remain grateful for the pause, for the the global pause mm. because nothing that has happened this year to or for or by black people has actually been different than years prior. It's that, Isn't that interesting? You know? I find that so true. Yeah, we've been doing this. We've been having these conversations forever. For this isn't ever. new. Yeah. yeah. This black is the awakening lost. for white people. That's this is what this year is. Black lives lost. Black lives murdered this year. They were murdered last year. I sincerely believe they'll be murdered last year. I'm not, or next year. I'm not so naive that I can't recognize that that though there is consciousness, or though there has been some awakening, there is. It, we're not done. This work is not done, right? While things were starting to unfold in June, it was for me. It was a hard one to work out where I sat with it all because that's exactly it. Like I, I wasn't. I, I guess I didn't want to be a pessimist and thinking this will not affect change, but I knew this wasn't it. This wasn't the finish line. This wasn't the end. And I know the dialogue that was happening, you know, it was sort of for people where this was the first time they were coming to it, Mm -hmm. that's how they were approaching it. And I thought, no, but if you look over the course of history, this has happened for every black life. You know, multiple times, many times, and this will continue to happen. And, I think it's something I feel so deeply heavy with in thinking that it it will probably not be resolved within my lifetime. This is, again, that it's going to fall to the shoulders of my child and right. her generation. And I think it's a burden that we probably don't talk about a lot as a Black parent, as a parent where you are facing oppression when you... Uh, when you dislodge that when you pass that on to your child that's a huge thing and it's like you said before like the one thing that you would hope for your child is joy and safety and just to get to take the richness of life with both hands that's right Um, it's it's been an interesting year in really appreciating I think like you said the pause the pause but knowing that this isn't it, this work hasn't been done. I do think that Black motherhood in any of its forms is the ultimate protest. It is the ultimate refusal to be to be silenced, to be erased, to be passed by. It is a defiant act. And I, 
I don't know if it's pessimistic to say, oh, this won't happen in my lifetime. I'm going to have my child will be fighting. Not even just because it's realistic. I actually, if it weren't this, there would be another strife. We are human. Mm -hmm. We would create a thing. There would be arbitrary systems because that's what that's what humans do. Right. Um, So if not racism, then what? I, I don't, it's not that I want her or all of our lives to be completely free of any tension or struggle or battle ever. In fact, I think that there is some urgency that brought to our lives when we can say, oh, I am emboldened to point to a way that I better this this shared experience, right? And growth, absolutely, right. yeah. And so I, though I wish it wasn't against her personhood, mm. I wish I could offer her a world that was not as fraught for her and her blackness. I, I wish that I could do that. I do want her to be um, empowered to and think herself capable of diving headlong into any world and saying, oh, I live here mm. and I, I press my thumbprints into it and I will be counted as having walked these streets, right? That is, I think, I think that's mothering. If she leaves me to do those things, whether it's today or, you know, amongst her friends at, at school, if it's, if it's, you know, when she's playing in the yard, if it's uh, when she goes to a university, if she chooses, if it's in her relationships down the line, or if it's with her own children, ultimately, I, I want her to know that she is not only deserving of that, but that she has been, brought to know herself and to embrace and love and and demand <laughs> that that she get that uh that she get that space i think um alluded to it earlier and it's something i really believe and i probably won't say it as articulate as you did but bigger than changing the the policies and the laws it's the hearts of the black people themselves, of ourselves, that we feel that we can demand more of life, that we can ask for our share, that we can occupy all of these spaces. That is, I think, the thing I've been seeing more and more, and I hope it just continues to flourish, okay. along with our potential, our potential and our our celebration of ourselves, of our skin, of our blackness, of our history, of our community, of our future. That is where the biggest change maybe we're going to see in our lifetime is going to occur. Absolutely. And I feel, I I see generations before me that pushed at policy and pushed at legality. And I also see that some struggle there is that, so laws change, but that which we call legal or illegal is not necessarily what dictates the, yes. the experience of right of um, of a life and so like you more exciting to me than what's on paper and who signs what is how we how my people live a day and and if we are living our days with clarity of our legacies and determination towards our purpose if we are expressing our artistry and and sharing our voice, then I think we are enriching and enlivening a world. And 
And that to me is, is perhaps the work of our generation mm. to say, I'm not really asking for permission. I'm taking yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I'm taking it. Yeah. <laughs> this is it. We're done with that. <laughs> I was just thinking, Adrian, too, uh, earlier you were talking about your connection with the land and through, I guess, your your daughter pulling you in. You live in Virginia, which in my mind would have been land occupied by slave owners, where people were enslaved to to pick cotton, to mother generations of slaves. Like there's so much darkness there. How do you and to, I have to be really honest, it's one of the things that I really found hard about the thought of going to America is the, uh, the I don't know, the souls that are there, the the sadness, the grief, the darkness, the the horror that that land has seen over time. How do you connect with that? Is that something you've interacted with more and more? Is that something I don't imagine it's talked about a lot in American schools and in larger societies? Is it within the own Black communities? Do you reconnect, redefine your relationship with the world around you? So Charlottesville, where I live, uh, was in the news in 2017 because of an alt-right rally that was held here and resulted in a fatal hit and run of a counter-protester. And so it was, it was odd to watch our city become a hashtag. But mm-hmm. in many ways, in many ways, Charlottesville has always been the, the most segregated city I'd ever lived in. I mean, more segregated than New Orleans and more segregated than New York, which both, you know, I say that and think, how is that possible? <laughs> um, but it's possible because, you know, in 1619, when Africans were brought to to this country, they were brought to what is now called Virginia, right? Mm. And so... When I think of the legacy here, I think that this is the, the birthplace of America in so many ways. And so we, the legacy we uphold is still a legacy of delineation around racial identity. And race and class are inextricably tied. And so that shows up in our interactions with the land and it shows up in where we live and uh, you know what cities are ours or are not ours or what feel like they are not ours. I I think often, I'll be paraphrasing, but it's, it's James Baldwin who says that. I mean, if there's someone to paraphrase. Right, right? Yeah. <laughs> Most of I read Baldwin and I'm like, why does anyone else write anything ever? Yeah. Um, we'll put down our pens now. Never mind, we'll just give up now. Um, but he, he says that, you know, I love America more than any other country. And so I reserve the right to criticize her. I'm nodding my head. Yes, for all of that, like horror that's in my consciousness, mothering in this city, in this state, in this country, I also have the sense of responsibility to that. Uh, mm. My ancestors were here. And so uh, I don't just want to cut and run entirely because I, my living and my working is in conversation with that history. And so to be here and to stay in it is an, is its own protest, I, I think. You know, and then three times a week I, I wake up and think, I'm probably moving to Paris. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just go somewhere completely I'll go, different? I'll go somewhere else. Yeah. 
<laughs> so, and and who knows? Mostly because on some level that dream is just because it's a, a dream. It's a dream to hold, and I and I love that. Right. But I am here, and I mother here, and I work here because it because it poses those challenges, and because it demands of me a kind of consciousness. I don't. I think perhaps the greatest fear I hold about next year is that we will abandon this awareness that has been brought to our door. It's not new for everyone, but for those for whom it is new, my fear is that they will let it fall by the wayside um, because to hold that awareness and still go about your day is weight. That is, it is weight upon you. It's heavy. It really is. It really is. is. I think that's the hardest thing to my partner. He's white. And I think that's a thing that I have to constantly remind him as well, that my everyday, I carry this with me. And it's been from, from childhood, you know, I have felt this weight. And I think as I've gotten older, it's become more complex. It's I've gained clarity in some areas and then it's murkier in others. Becoming a mother has <laughs> just blown it all wide open again. But there is a weight that we carry with us every day that we sleep with that, mm-hmm. you know, it's constant. It okay. is a constant. Absolutely. And I think the paradox of believing that uh, joy is its own resistance is that I seem joyful and so people don't, Yes, but underneath that joy is a kind of seething understanding of of the state of our our nation or or the state of the black woman or the state of the black mother or the state of the black child right so there is a bit of of challenge there too in ensuring that i don't know i but i I don't want to be one or the other yeah i've never sought that and and so showing up whole then becomes the task of the day (laughs) and as many days as we are given really I think I do um, as I'm getting older I I think I'm realizing to grow old is a privilege you know to be given another day is a privilege and I think yeah there's so many things that are teaching me that and showing me that and having my daughter here is definitely probably one of the greatest examples that I've been given in my life. That's right. I feel very much the same. And, you know, navigating that, I feel sort of compelled to say that when we partner with or when we share intimate, you know, dynamics with, whether romantic or otherwise, with people who who don't share our, our, I mean, right. I can claim love and joy in my black womanhood, even as I know both race and gender are constructs, right? I like wish to dismantle both of those things. And also I'm a black woman and (laughs) right. So I know that it's separate. And so for our, for our partners or for our family or for our friends who don't have that kind of tension, it can be really difficult for them to, name my daughter is and this is the piece I was thinking of as you were speaking my daughter is is white presenting and so there were many times as a younger child when I can remember quite distinctly one occasion in particular where she was there was music playing there was a performer on the street playing and she was dancing so I sat sort of at the curb to just watch her because she was going to dance to the music for as long as he would play. And I, she saw me and I saw her and we were just fine. 
And there were two women who came up and they sort of stood right in between us. And so now I couldn't quite see her and I was kind of leaning, but I could see her feet or whatever. And they were sort of looking around, looking around, looking around until they turned to me and said, do you know where her mother is? And it wasn't the first time that someone had not immediately noticed, right? Or thought, oh, you must be. But it was one of those moments where I felt, ah, if we can't be seen, if this tether between us can't be seen in our most joyful moments, is it only because the picture you have of Black girls and their moms are absent mm. these moments? And it, it solidified for me, oh, I'm going, I'm going to do more of this. <laughs> I'm going to stand further from you. I'm going to let you play at a distance. I'm going to let you dance as if you were just there dancing. If only so they see a Black girl dancing and don't panic on your behalf. You know, we speak of color, but also there's this, or rather we speak of race, but there is this issue of color. Or there are mothers who, who adopted their children. Or, or there are families that have come together by any kind of circumstance. And I, and I think we're all bundled up in this pursuit to create a world that makes space for the, what, the complicated, the complex, the nuanced picture of family, of motherhood. I completely agree. I completely agree with all of that. <laughs> oh, Adrian, I'm just... I've loved talking with you so much. I could talk to you forever. It's I I probably didn't get to have enough of these conversations. So mm -hmm. I just feel really blessed for your time and your openness. And, and just, I mean, I, the way you speak, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's so beautiful. I could, yeah, you could, you can read me anything that you've written. I love it. <laughs> oh, I really, this was so special and, you know, for as much as I talk to myself or <laughs> in my writing work about these about these ideas, it feels really precious to be able to talk about it in community and in solidarity. And I'm I'm really grateful for it. So episodes aside, we can chat anytime. Yes, please. <laughs> Adrian, is there anything that you're working on that you'd like to share for people to keep an eye out? And also, how can we connect with you? Instagram's going to be the best place. I think Instagram is. So I'm at Adrian Oliver. It's a triple R. Um, <laughs> um, and... Let's see, the website's the same, adrianoliver.com. I share writing work there, or you can connect to, I, I do a lot of speaking work, so if that's of interest. I'm also a co-host of uh, Now Now School, which is at Now Now School, and we are a human school for all souls, uh, and soul school for all humans. And, and you have your podcast as well. Yeah, it's called You're Welcome. <laughs> and you can find it um, through Now Now School. It's a good fun. So yeah, you're welcome to connect with me in any of those ways. I am projects I'm working on. I feel if I don't say it again and again and again, then <laughs> I don't dare myself to continue the pursuit. But I am. I'm writing a book and I will be sure to keep you posted. Yes, please. I'm, I know I'll love it already. <laughs> like, put me down for like five coffees. Oh, perfect. I'll just start a list. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, well, so much love and just gratitude. It's been such a treasure getting to, to share this moment with you. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode. Come connect with me on Instagram with the handle born underscore underscore together. I'd love to hear from you. And please do share, subscribe and rate the podcast to help it get out to a wider audience. I'd love if you could. Until next week. Bye.